that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. Very excited to be here with you today in the early spring. Beautiful May has arrived here in New York City. I'm coming to you from Brooklyn today. But before we start the show, I want to make sure to, at the front of this episode, make a very public appeal. Because if you live in and around this great metropolis of ours today, when this episode comes out, which will be Tuesday, May 4th, if you are in good health, safe and sound, willing to come out to the city, please consider coming tonight, 6 o'clock in the evening, to Most Precious Blood Church in the heart of historic Little Italy, 113 Baxter Street. There's a very important community meeting that's been called by the Archdiocese of New York about the future of this historic church and the attached shrine, national shrine, of San Gennaro, which, as you know, if you're a longtime listener, is the church from which every September the Feast of San Gennaro makes its way out of the beautiful church and into the streets of Little Italy on Mulberry Street and cements the Little Italy status of this amazing neighborhood. And many of us here in New York have been working very hard over the past couple of years to do what we can to shore up the situation at Most Precious Blood Church and make sure that it and the Feast of San Gennaro are available for generations of Italian-Americans to come. And it looks like now is a moment where we need to be in sort of public address mode and ask for your help and your presence and your voice to be added to ours if you can. So if you're around New York City on May 4th, Tuesday, 6 p.m., please come out and join us at Most Precious Blood Church for what I hope will be a meeting of good news and I fear will be a meeting of bad news. So we could really use your support. And, you know, we at this show obviously try very hard to veer away from contentious issues, but in some sense, because we're a show about the Italian-American life and the Italian-American community, we also have the responsibility to be a voice for the Italian-American community and hopefully put out the clarion call for aid when important topics come up. And this is one that we think is really important because whenever we interact with our listeners or, of course, our guests, we talk a lot about the evolution of Little Italy's and these historic Italian enclaves and where they're going. And it's often forgotten that these historic parishes, these Italian-American parishes, are in so many cases the heartbeat of these neighborhoods, the place where the feasts come from, the place where people return to for feasts and baptisms and weddings and things like that. So it's really important that we step up and be there when they need our help. And this Little Italy in particular at Mulberry Street, as many of you know, if you're from the area or you visited New York City and come to see Mulberry Street's Little Italy, it's a neighborhood that's held on as best it can, but uh, it certainly can use some help. And we certainly want these staples of the Italian-American community to survive there because it does make a big difference. And if you've ever been to the San Gennaro Feast, you know for many, many days in the month of September every year, it's a chance for people to come back. It makes a great deal of difference in the year of a lot of these businesses and people get to reunite and see one another again and just retouch the community and the traditions and the faith and the fun and the food. And I think it's an important 
point in the calendar for everybody in the area and hopefully for those who visit our great city specifically to be part of the Feast of San Gennaro. And interestingly enough, this is not the topic for today's show, but our guest today is known as the voice of Little Italy because amongst her many, many accolades, she is a staple of the San Gennaro Feast because the feast, for those of you who have not been there, has a significant entertainment portion and a wonderful stage set up in the center of all the action, and some of the best Italian-American and Italian talents cycle through, and uh, our guest today has been highly lauded for her performances in some of the top jazz clubs and venues around the city. She's played everywhere from the famed Birdland to Feinstein's 54 Below, Feinstein's at the Lowe's Regency, the Metropolitan Room, I mean, everywhere you can imagine, the Friars Club, uh, but I think it's safe to say she sparkles everywhere, but maybe a little bit more at the center stage on Mulberry Street at the Feast of Little Italy. So I'm very, very happy to finally welcome someone whose career and talent I've long admired, the one and only Miss Jenna Esposito. So Jenna, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to have you here today because, like I say, I've been a fan of your work and both your musical talent and your dedication to preservation of and evolution forward of Italian-American history. And one of the reasons we got to bring you here today was because you have a new album coming out. So, More Amore, a return to the great Italian-American songbook. Tell us a little bit about what's coming out, when it's coming out, and what we have to look forward to. So, the official release date is May 15th, which is just around the corner. I actually just got in the door from doing the final, final tweaks on the album. It's a, it's a labor of love, and um, it celebrates, like you mentioned, what I like to call the great Italian-American songbook. And for me, that's songs that either had their origins in Italy, were made famous by Italian-Americans, or both. And the fun thing about that, I think it's uh, educational for a lot of people, because people might hear Italian-American or Italian-themed and think, oh, she's going to do all those stodgy old operatic tunes or just like Neapolitan classics. Um, but, you know, there are some Neapolitan classics in there like uh, Torna a Sorriento and O Sole Mio. But there's a great deal more. And that's kind of the point of the album is to educate people that it's a living, breathing thing. And the great Italian-American songbook is ongoing. So I would say it's about a third of kind of the classic Italian and Napolitan songs a third jazz and standards made popular by people like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, and a third kind of pop and rock by people like Lou Christie and Dion. And um, what really inspired me, this is kind of a follow-up to my previous album, which was called That's Amore, Songs from the Great Italian-American Songbook. What truly inspired me was years ago, I want to say maybe 2009, uh, 2010, I read Mark Rotella's book, Amore, the History of Italian American Song. And it blew me away. And one of the things that surprised me the most were how many contributors there were to popular song in America that were Italian American. And it kind of went under the radar because so many of them changed their names to be less ethnic or more trendy or to fit on a marquee better in some cases. And um, I started doing a show around that time I called Italian Undercover, which was kind of revealing all these stage names of Italian Americans. And it's been kind of an ongoing project for me ever since then, because I think it's really important to bring to the consciousness of people that it is indeed a living, breathing thing. And there's so many songs. There's been such a great influence on popular music in this country that was made by Italian Americans. For me, it's really special and it's something that I'm very proud of. 
And it also makes the CD and the shows I do a lot of fun because it's a variety of musical styles, but they all have this connection at the heart of them. And it's really, it's really special to me. Well, you mentioned that some people might assume the idea of a great Italian American songbook would be stodgy. And having heard your music, owning your CDs, having seen you perform, I can say you are anything but stodgy. And anybody who gets the chance to come see you when we get back to live shows or hear the records is going to see that. You know, the word that everybody uses for you is sparkle. because You have a great sparkle and a great energy. And you've done uh, beyond your contribution to music and this concept of a songbook. You've done a lot of work and spent a lot of time with a lot of the people in Little Italy and gotten to know them and care for them. And so the idea that you are the voice of Little Italy is more than just a yearly performance in September. It's the continued commitment that you make to who we are and the people that make up our community. So I applaud you on that because it's something I think that, uh, you know, you could go out and, and just do songs by Italians and Italian Americans but to be engaged in the community and to evolve forward. You know, you talk about doing songs by the unknown Italians. One of my favorite things you've ever done is the first ever recorded version of a song called Falamore Conte, which is written by a mutual friend of ours, a great friend of ours, who unfortunately is in mourning right now for the loss of his beloved wife of 50 years, and that's Mr. Ernie Rossi, who, if you follow us on YouTube and watch our videos, you've met him through there. I know you've gotten very close to him over the years. I've gotten very close to him over the years. That's a beautiful love story between the two of them, a 110, 20-year-old institution in the community. Before we talk about the record, I do want to ask you kind of how that came about. And to me, that's the most emblematic song from your work of really caring for the community. How did it come about that you ended up recording this song written by Mr. Rossi? Well, I, my first introduction to Ernie was back in 2009. I was actually promoting at that time a Connie Francis tribute I do, which I still do. And that's actually what got me into my interest in the great Italian American songbook because I started out just covering Connie Francis. And when I did my research on her, I learned how involved she was with her Italian heritage. And she covered all these amazing songs. And for years, I'd been kind of trying to find my way as a performer. And do I like doing jazz or like doing pop? And I really didn't find my identity until I did that show. And from there, my career took a side path because I found the songs I connected with most were her Italian songs, you know, Mama and Tango della Gelosia. And it's just this passion and songs you can really sink your teeth into. So that show put me on the road to the great Italian American songbook. But while I was promoting it, I got introduced to uh, Bill Russo and John Lombardi, who also we've sadly lost. Um, but Bill and John put me on their radio show to promote the Connie Francis show. And we wrapped up and they said, do you know Ernie Rossi? And said, so, no, they said, you have to come meet Ernie. So they took me downtown and I went in to meet Ernie. And within maybe five minutes, he pulled out that old beat up nylon string guitar from behind the camera. <laughs> And he yes. gave me Fala More Conte. And I got such chills. I was like, this is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. So I brought my dad back the next week in the fine Italian-American family tradition. My dad is my musical director. He does pretty much all my shows with me. And we've got this great shared love of music in our family. So I brought my dad back to meet Ernie the following week and had him play the song for my dad. And my dad had the same reaction. And it was just such a touching moment. And the three of us really bonded over that one song. So the next show I did was a celebration of the Italian American Songbook. It was my first one. 
And I asked Ernie if he would let me sing that song. And he said, of course, I would be honored. And our friendship just grew from there because I just enjoyed talking to him and hearing his stories and his family, the, their shop, they were one of the biggest publishers of Italian music and Napolitan music coming into the country in the 50s and 60s. And he's such a wealth of information and great stories and the biggest heart you can imagine. So I would go, you know, I go visit him whenever I can. And it started with that one meeting and I started singing Fra l'amore con te. And then when I was getting ready to record my next album, by that point, he'd actually written a song for me, getting to know my voice, um, called Dimi Amore. And so both of, the, both of those songs made it on my previous album. And they're really special. And I'm just so touched that Ernie lets me sing them. And I think it's mutual. He's, he appreciates that, that I sing them and can get his music out to a bigger audience. Um, but, you know, Fala Amore is always special because I know it was written for his wife, Margaret. And it just breaks my heart what they've been through this year. And especially losing their longtime companion and um, worker, Freddie, you know, within a few few weeks of each other. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, Ernie needs all the love and support he can get right now. So actually, I um, talked to him last week. And shortly after we first met, he told me about a song that he was in the process of writing called The Other Side of Forever. And initially, he had written it in memory of the 9-11 victims. And he just never got around to finishing it. So when I talked to him last week, he said, you know, Jenna, I finally finished that song, The Other Side of Forever. And, you know, if I can get it written down, would you consider maybe recording it. And maybe we don't think of it just for the 9-11 victims. Maybe we think of it now for the COVID victims and after all the loss everybody suffered in the past year or so, including him. And it's a song about meeting again on the other side. And it's it's beautiful. And I, he had played me like the first verse when he'd written it years ago. And I, it's another song that gave me chills right away. It's just, he has a way of touching your heart. His It's his chords, his music, the words, they're simple but honest, and they just touch you in a way that a lot of songs don't. So I'm looking forward, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks to going and getting this song from him. And although it's not going to be on this current album because we, we just wrapped it up, I want to do maybe a single uh, in a month or two and get the song out there and maybe in the meantime raise some money to help save his shop. If we can get this song to take off for him, you know, it accomplish two things. First of all, be a beautiful tribute to his wife and all the other victims of COVID. Um, but also, it may, may help raise some money for a shop. So that's kind of next on the horizon. And, you know, I just do anything I can for him. And I know you feel the same way. Oh, yeah. We are definitely simpatico in our commitment to Ernie and, and his just unassuming, genuine kindness. I mean, the guy, like you said, you know, he, he does have a very straight sort of folksy ability to create a song. He's been around music for his whole life. I mean, from 1900 until the 50s and 60s, like you say, this little company, this little storefront on Grand Street in Little Italy was the epicenter of Italian music here in the in the United States in a place where all these songs came through. And yeah, this is a guy who has lost many people that he loves to COVID, suffered from COVID himself, was in the hospital for a very long time. And, you know, this virus, unfortunately, it has not only ravaged through the country, but particularly hard hit has been Little Italy. A lot of important uh, vendors and business people and staples of the community lost. So I think that's wonderful that you're going to do that. I, I really admire that. Anything to help it, uh, Little Italy and, of course, Ernie in particular. But hopefully, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that San Gennaro will run this year, you know, even if it has to be scaled back or we have to implement social distancing or something. I just think it's such a boon for the community and it's such a hard loss for them not to be able to do it last year. And it was understandable why, but the community needs it. 
Yeah, these feasts, I mean, as we're talking about with the meeting coming up this evening from Most Precious Blood Church, these feasts are a staple of everything. And, you know, you talk about the myriad of entertainment that goes on there, you know, and you have, a lot of times you have acts from previous decades that come back and they headline these things and it's great for people to get to see some of the performers that they loved growing up and you certainly have a lot of DJs and, you know, you get a mix of all different things, stuff from Italy, stuff from the United States, stuff that's popular hits right now. And, you know, but for you and for a couple of other performers out there, you seem to be very dedicated to this concept of the songbook, like you're talking about. I think it's interesting because whenever we talk to musicians, we talk about the Italian-American contributions to the American songbook. It, it is often overlooked how beyond the Sinatras and the Dean Martins and the Connie Francis, there are so many performers, the unidentified ones, as you say, with different names, but even the Vic Damones and the Al Martinos and the Mario Lanzas of the world, these guys and women meant so much to American popular song. And I think people oftentimes forget that in that age, post-World War II, when Italy was, for the majority of that conflict, the enemy of the United States and Italian-Americans were being told not to speak Italian and in some cases, in the worst cases, even being brought into internment camps. For these talents to arrive on the scene after that war and make cool the idea of our language and our culture and make it accessible to people who may not have met an Italian-American, I think it's safe to say that we did not see something like that until the sort of Latin explosion and the Latin Grammys and all these things. But I think people forget that for a moment in time, they were not just contributing to and redefining the American songbook. They were redefining what we meant to the rest of the country and introducing us in a lot of ways to the rest of the country. So when you go out there and do these songs, in some ways you are not just keeping alive the music and the creators, but you're keeping alive this whole idea of our journey. Do you feel that throughout the performances? Absolutely. And uh, one of the most interesting shows I've done over the past few years, my high school asked me if I had to come do a show for them. And they said, you can do anything you want. We just, you know, you're a successful alumni, alumnus. Would you come do a show? And I said, yes. And I'll tell you, I would like to do my tribute to the great Italian American songbook. And here's why. Because I want kids growing up today to be proud of their heritage. And no matter where they come from, to know that they can make contributions. And that it's not uncool to have a connection like this with your past and where you came from. And I think it's an important age to kind of instill those beliefs. So I talked about that during the show more so than it would kind of in a normal show or at an Italian festival where everybody's kind of on the same page. And it was great. And I said, you know, I think when the kids hear that I'm going to do an Italian-American theme show, they're going to kind of roll their eyes. But my goal is to get them whooping and hollering and clapping along. And then the talk back at the end, explain, you know, be proud of who you are. And, you know, there's a lot of ethnicities and cultures that weren't treated well in the past and maybe had a hard time and were put down and made fun of. And don't let that keep you down because your contributions are important. Your ancestors' contributions are important. And be proud of who you are. And I think I got that across. And they were whooping and hollering by the end. And they asked some really intelligent questions and were asking how I got into it and how I discovered it. And I explained, you know, it's it's a labor of love. I enjoy it. But, it's you know, I read about it. I do a lot of research. I read a lot of books. And I try to figure out where I came from and where our culture's going. And I think that's really important. And um, another thing with this new CD I'm really excited about is 
Um, not only is my dad my musical director and playing on it, he plays guitar, and my sister is doing backup vocals. She's a fantastic vocalist in her own right. But I have my 13-year-old nephew playing on it. Wow. He, when my sister was pregnant with him, my dad jokingly said, well, you know, we could really use a drummer or a piano player in the family. Well, starting at less than two years old, and my Connie Francis CD had just come out at that time, he was tapping out rhythms on the dining room table, and he just had this affinity for rhythm. So they got him his first little baby drum set when he was two. He played at San Gennaro with me. His first appearance there was when he was four. I brought him up for a song on the drum kit. He's done San Gennaro with me pretty much every year since. I've gotten him to play at the Friars Club. I took him to Festa Italiana in Milwaukee a few years ago, and he sat in there. So I said, I think he's ready. He's 13 now, and he's done a couple of these fun shows with me, but I would like to introduce him to the studio experience. And he did a great job. He played the drum kit for two songs, added percussion and more. And it's kind of that idea of passing these traditions down, which I think is really important in our culture. And so my dad's dad passed everything down to him. And my, my dad grew up in that era where the extended families would get together on weekends and everybody, somebody would pick up a guitar, somebody would have an accordion, somebody would have a mandolin, and they would all sing and play and dance. I grew up a generation removed from that, but we still, there was always music in our house. Always. My dad was using his band and my sister and I grew up singing with him. My mom claims she's not a singer, but she would join in the fun and, uh, you know, be part of it. And so I'm really excited that my nephew is part of the fold now. And he's so proud of this heritage and this culture. And I actually, I just sent him, uh, the Sons of Italy is having a contest for middle schoolers and high schoolers to write about their connection to their Italian heritage. So I'm going to get him involved with that. And I said, this is, and he's like, I don't know, what do I write about? I said, Charlie, this is what you've been doing your whole life. All the <laughs> festivals I've taken you to and you play that, the CD. I said, talk about your connection to the music because... In our family, that's what it is, and that's how we connect with our heritage the most. And so, I, you know, I'm, I like getting him excited about it, and hopefully these traditions will get carried on, you know, to his next generation. Well, you're doing yeoman's work to make sure that's the case, right? I mean, <laughs> the audience that has listened for a long time knows, I always say, my professional career was born out of my love of Lou Monty's music, because when I was a teenager and I went to my first NIAF gala in Washington, D.C., I had this, you know, I didn't know there was a youth gala downstairs where everybody was having fun, but I was at this boring black tie, you know, 3,000 person dinner, and I was like, you know, falling asleep in my dry steak. And uh, when I went upstairs afterwards, I would never have come back had not somebody sat down at the piano in the hotel lobby and started playing these songs, these Italian American songs and Neapolitan songs. And when I realized there were young people that had been in another part of the hotel, and here they were, and they were all singing these songs with me that I grew up singing. And I grew up, we left Brooklyn, went to a very non-Italian neighborhood, so this was sort of my secret language. You know, nobody in my school knew who Pino the Mouse was or Dominic Donkey or uh, or Sole Mio or any of this stuff, and here's all these young people my age singing it, and up until all hours of the night with, you know, Tommy Lasorda and uh, all these celebrities coming and joining, and I, I felt at home and I felt safe. So to me, music has been a big part of, I think, our community in a very special way, probably because of this songbook, because our ethnic music did transcend the community, did become, you know, even things like that Samore and uh, Volare, you know, they, they they made their way into the mainstream. So our language was being sung by people who might have only understood it phonetically, even Italian-Americans who might have only understood it phonetically. But right. it was making its way. And I think this is a huge gift that you have to give. And I spent the early days of this lockdown in quarantine with my parents, my wife, my brother, his wife, and kids. And uh, we were all in one house together. 
And my niece, who I really didn't get to spend much time with because my brother lives in Florida, every morning she'd wake up and she'd want to play Wheels on the Bus. And about three or four days into it, I, I wanted to you know, throw myself out the window. So I said, I can't do Wheels on the Bus anymore. So I said, sweetheart, Zio's going to teach you a song about a little mouse. And we started playing Pepino. And every morning she'd get up and we'd sing Pepino. She's three and, and a few months now. And uh, after six, seven months of introducing her to all these songs, now she asks for them and she sings them. And at Christmas she was singing Dominic the Donkey. And I, I know from my own life experience, that's how the culture gets transferred. It's the joy of those things. And music is such a joy. So your gift to your nephew and to all these people whose lives you touch is that you get to pass on that joy. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. You know, you talk about spreading this joy, and you mentioned going back to your school and getting the kids all excited and up and going. And I'm very curious, which songs were the ones that they sort of connected to, this younger generation? Um, more of the pop songs, honestly. Like, when I did uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off You, you know, like, oh, wait, I know this song. And I, it made me think, you know, that's kind of an interesting way of connecting and, you know, saying, like, it's not just all these old songs and you know the old songs are beautiful and they kind of got them too but then when they realized wow these are songs that we've heard before and we can sing along to and we know them i think that's when they thought it was cool and um um, i do also to mio but i also um i do it into elvis's it's now or never and uh, i do that arrangement on the new album and again kind of the point is people would not have known this beautiful napolitan song had elvis not heard it and said i need to do that yeah and he kind of unknowingly taught this whole generation of people this beautiful old Napolitan song. And I love that about him. And I love, you know, I wish he was Italian. But <laughs> um, I really, I find it fascinating that he took such a liking to these old Italian songs, you know, and he did his own version of Trono Sorrento. He called it Surrender. I mean, Elvis knew good music. Yeah. So I think, you know, doing that medley, you know, it's kind of walking a fine line because I don't want to upset the traditionalists. But... I do want to make the point that people know these songs without even knowing them and how much of an influence that these Italian songs have had on our culture. And um, I actually have a new one on this album too, written by somebody I know, you know, um, Aaron Caruso. So he wrote a beautiful duet, kind of followed the roadmap of um, Conte Partiro, which was such a big crossover hit. It's called Il Cello and it is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's half Italian, half English. And so that's another way. I, I like to, on each of my albums, have something that shows that the songbook is continuing and that future generations can write songs that kind of fall into this genre, you know, like Ernie's songs on the last CD and Aaron's song on this CD. And it shows, again, that it's just such a living, breathing, growing thing. And they don't all have to sound like Tornesoriento or Osa de Mio. And... Um, I think that's the way to get the younger generation in is is get them excited about it, get them hook them in with something they know or something that's familiar or something that's brand new and part of the new part of the great Italian American songbook. Um, but it's really important, and I love what you did with your niece. I think you're spot on. That is kind of the joy that we have in sharing these songs, and 
you know, when times were tough, you know, for Italian Americans, you know, around the, the World War II and, and uh, during the Great Depression, music was what we bonded over. Music and food, really. I mean, <laughs> That's and, and uh, you you get these nonas and mothers who could make something of nothing and but that's what they had to entertain themselves with. You know, it was food and his music, and they're kind of intertwined too. You know, when there's a gathering, when there's a family gathering, where there's a big feast, there's always music. And I think that's so important. And it's a, it's something, you know, I'm glad you're doing with your niece. I'm doing with my nephew. One of my best friends um, has a three-year-old son, and uh, he gets up in the morning and asks her to play either me or Patrizio or <laughs> Lumanti. Like, that's it. And, <laughs> And I love it. And she sends me videos of him singing along with my songs. And it just, it touches my heart. And he's adorable. And he's, he's, uh, he's our hope for the future. It's really, maybe we should introduce him to your niece. It's really nice. It's <laughs> nice to hear that, you know. And you're absolutely right. Aaron Caruso is somebody that I've been a big fan of. And uh, if I recall, he was really the main engine singing that night when I first went to NIAF. I, I remember specifically him getting up at the microphone and, giving everybody this wonderful performance and encouraging all of us to come up and sing with him. And he's part of the Sicilian tenors and we've had him during my time at NIAF come perform a couple of times and they're just wonderful guys. And, and he's a great talent, Aaron, and he really dedication to the craft of music and the craft of performing. And I'm glad to see and looking forward to hearing the duet between you two, because I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. It's really pretty. And, um, and it's fun, too, because, you know, you do these Italian festivals across the country and you meet such great people. And I've got to say, one of my um, favorite ones outside of San Gennaro is the Festa Italiana in Milwaukee. Sure. First of all, it's a great festival. They've got these dedicated festival grounds um, on Lake Michigan. And throughout the summer, it's just festival after festival after festival. So it's something a little different than the more kind of transient festivals we see in the big cities like San Gennaro, where Everybody sets up shop and they close the streets for two weeks. These are like beautiful festival grounds. They've got permanent booths and just the vendors for each festival kind of moves in and puts their things in. Three huge stages. You know, the week before I played there last time, I think the Doobie Brothers were there. I mean, it's just amazing. And it's a well-oiled machine. But my favorite part about it is what they do with the artists. Because most of us are there for the whole weekend. They put us all up at the same hotel. And then at night, it turns into this like late night Italian jam. We're all in the lobby and there's a couple of accordions, a mandolin, and we're all belting out like Tufo Fala Americano, like till all hours of night singing and dancing and drinking wine. And it's so fun. It's so much fun. And it just captures that joy. And actually that particular night a couple years ago where I was really hanging out with Aaron for the first time, our paths had crossed many times before. The first time we really just hung out together. And uh, the accordion player, one of the accordion players, uh, Corey Pesatoro. Phenomenal. Probably the best in the country, really. And then a mandolin player that Aaron works with often, uh, Francesco Cavallini. We really just hit it off with these guys. And we hung out to the wee small hours of the morning. And my husband, Jimmy, um, who, another proud Italian-American, Jimmy Canazzaro, he, uh, I actually had a show, an early show the next day. So he's like, honey, I'm going to put you to bed. I'm going to go back and hang out for you. <laughs> hang out with you. <laughs> Lucky guy. Like, that, and it's funny. And to most people, they'd be like, sure. But he really meant it. He's like, I think we need to become friends with these guys. They're really cool and fun. So he did. And But the next morning, I was walking through the lobby. And everybody's like, Jimmy, how you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. He really he bonded with everybody. But what it did, it was just establish this kind of fun connection so it ends up that not only is Aaron on my new album, but also Corey 
and Francesco of the Mandolin Players. So it's these guys that we just had the best time with hanging out in the hotel in Milwaukee. And actually, my um, I have Tufofala Americano on the new album, and it was inspired by this late night hang, and it's kind of raucous and silly and fun. And it just, it makes me laugh because we added some silly things in there. And uh, Jimmy, my husband, who's, he's not a musician, but he's a huge admirer and supporter of music. He actually had a club in Long Island uh, supporting live music for 15 years. So anyway, on Tufofala Americano, he actually joins and plays the triangle. I mean, it's just all kinds of mayhem going on, but it's, it's fun. And these guys that I met just by doing the Italian festivals and bonding over our shared love of this music. And I'm so happy that they're all able to do the album with me. Yeah, well, everybody in the world, it's one of the few feasts I have not made my way to is Milwaukee and everybody. I mean, we, we did our top 10 sort of bucket list of places and events to go to. And Rosella, who's done it a few times, was adamant that that may be the best in the country. So God willing, when this comes back, we'll all be together there because I'm not going to miss it this time. Yeah, that's, that's actually Rosella. I met her there the first time I did it in 2015. And it was funny because the, the festival shuttles performers from the hotel to the performance stages. And she and I shared the same shuttle and we were both there with our dads. So, <laughs> like, of, course. of course, that's what Italian girls do. They travel with their dads and, you know, it was kind of fun. So we kind of bonded over that. But it's just, it's such a joy. They, it's really, it's such a beautiful festival, you know, beautifully run and great scenery. You just, you know, from the performance stage, you're looking out and Lake Michigan's right there. There's something really special about it. I, I love playing that one. And I, I'm disappointed. I was supposed to be there last year. And of course, it got canceled. And then they said, well, if we booked you for last year, you're automatically booked for 2021, which, of course, they ended up having to cancel again. So fingers crossed that next year it's on and we're all able to go and have a great time and have those late nights in the hotel lobby again. Well, if people can make it out there, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be the biggest in the country. It's hundreds of thousands of people. So if you're going to go from out of town, make sure you find out where the talent is booked because the extra free concerts sound amazing. And, you know, that sort of jam session, I mean, Pat always teases that one of the things we need to do from the podcast platform is put together like an Italian-American version of We Are the World where everybody gets on the same song and we yeah. all, you know, there's so much talent out there and people who, you know, look, I'm sure you encounter this, right? Like you say, you're doing as much educating as you are performing and entertaining. So you're teaching people about our history, about musical history, and that's a courageous decision to make as a professional because I'm sure it could be easy with your talent to go out and sing whatever people want to hear that's sort of, you know, stock stuff and, you know, do the rounds and things like that. But to stick with what you're passionate about, what has inspired you, what has driven you, and to go out there and do it, I, I think there's a lot of talent out there that is really moved by the Italian-American experience and has made an active and distinct decision to keep it going and evolve it forward. So I, I know the bonds that you must build with these people is great. And Corey, by the way, I, I guess it might be one of the most unassuming people you'll ever meet, but just funny uh, and talented, yeah. could play anything on an accordion. I've never heard, I, I don't know, he must have 500 fingers or something because he's so talented. We actually took him, we... um my husband, Jimmy, one of his best friends uh, is actually Billy Joel's guitar player. They grew up together in Long Island. And so we're very spoiled. Pretty much any Billy Joel show we want to go to, Madison Square Garden or out of town, we go. We get to hang out with the band. So a couple of years ago, they were playing Fenway Park. And we always like going to different ballparks, and especially the historic ones. We're big baseball fans. You know, even though we're New Yorkers, we appreciate the uh, historical significance of Fenway Park. And so Corey lives in Rhode Island. So we said, Corey, meet us, you know, come to the concert with us. We want to introduce you to Tommy Burns, Billy Joel's guitar player. You know, he's a, an amazing guitarist, but he's a true appreciator of talent. 
he like he likes to collect friends that are super talented so like come to the concert and bring your accordion so we ended up you know we went to a bar with the band afterwards and all this pop music is coming out of the jukebox and tommy was like i want to hear this so we went off to a booth on the side and tommy burned his jaw just dropped (laughs) i mean he's seen everybody and he said i've never seen anybody's hands move independently of each other in that way like that's insane talent so um it, w- it was fun it was fun for all of us we were just hanging out and uh i ended up you know singing some arias and chorus and the accordion and tommy they hopped on he's kind of playing the keyboard parts and you know again and actually tommy's half italian too so he's got that going on oh. but um but yeah it was really fun to kind of show Corey off and Tommy said, you know, it'd be great to introduce you to Billy because Billy Joel fancies himself an accordion player, but he, <laughs> he hasn't heard anything. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's funny you bring up Billy Joel because he's sort of, you talk about the, the unidentified Italians or the, like the Elvises who have honored our musical heritage. I was uh, doing my normal, very Italian American centric searches on YouTube one day <laughs> and I stumbled on a restaurant in Long Island where this band, I believe they're called Face to Face and they must do a lot of covers of Billy Joel and they did a version of Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, which obviously is sort of an honorary Italian-American song. And they transitioned it in a medley when you think the song is going to come to its great resounding end. They transitioned it into an, a really great version of Lazy Mary Cella Luna by Lou Monti. And yeah, yeah and the <laughs> crowd went crazy. Oh, that's really cool. And I thought to myself, man, I, I got to find a way to get these guys to come out and perform wherever the next great Italian, even if they perform one song, because that really speaks volumes to how much the mainstream stuff means to us and the Sinatras and the Dean Martins, but also these songs that are really particularly and uniquely ours. You know, even though people who are not Italian-American probably know Lazy Mary, it plays at every Mets game and, you know. Right, exactly. It's got its mainstream niche, but that to me is like an Italian-American anthem. So it was really cool to see, and uh, I think everybody enjoyed it. I don't know, for me, I just think seeing a crowd react to something that is sort of ours in tribe, it always makes me happy. Your favorite entertainment, made in Italy. Mediaset Italia has new dramas, addictive quiz shows, and the hottest reality TV this spring. Tune in for new seasons of Italy's favorite talent competition, Amici, the fastest quiz show around, Avanti Un Altro, celebrities marooned on an island in L'Isola dei Famosi, and don't miss new dramas airing Wednesdays starring your favorite Italian talents. DirecTV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia for $10 a month plus taxes, or Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com slash mediaset or call 1-877-912-2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. All programming subject to change. For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. So we've been talking about some real Italian-American icons, musical icons in general. But getting to know you a little bit, is it safe to say that the one who really impacts your career the most, who you look up to the most, is, is that Connie Francis? Absolutely. I mean, she was really my first introduction into it. You know, because even though I grew up in a musical family and there's always music around, my dad was of that generation where it wasn't trendy to be ethnic. So, you know, he would play these songs with his family on the weekends, but then he'd go out and play Beatles and Elvis. And, you know, that's what yeah. he he kind of gravitated towards the rock and pop as a singer and guitar player. So Connie Francis really was my kind of entree into this world of Italian songs. And it got me curious enough to read Mark Rotella's book, 
And um, to me, too, she, there's something really special about her and her voice and her ability to communicate emotion. And, you know, she's famous for, they call it the sob in her voice, but it's true. And she has a beautiful quality of tone, but is able to communicate such depth of emotion. And that's something that's been a big influence on me because I, you know, I always like to sound good, but these Italian songs especially require all this emotion. And so she's really been a huge, huge influence on me. And um, I'm lucky enough, you know, when I did my tribute to her, I recorded a CD of that and it found its way to her. And she's been so supportive of me and um, given me her blessing. She actually gave me like a quote to use in my press materials and stuff. And it's something to the effect of, I've known and loved Jenna for years and love the respect with which she treats the songs that have been so good to me. And that, I mean, I can't ask for anything else. It's, yeah. it's really touching that she's been such a big influence on me and, and she approves of what I do with her music and, and the other songs I sing. So it's been, it's been a really special connection with her. And, you know, she takes very seriously her musical contribution, her legacy, her songs. So that, that has extra weight because it's somebody who's not, she's really, you know, she, she cares. She still cares. And that's why I was really nervous. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I actually got to sing live in front of her once. And that was, I mean, I've never been more terrified in my life. Um, a mutual friend of ours was playing at Bemelman's Bar at the Carlisle Hotel. And it's such an intimate space. And um, I was attending kind of with her, with a group of mutual friends. They said, Jenna, we're bringing Connie to hear Tony Desaire at Bemelman's Bar. Do you want to come? I said, of course. So Tony, who was uh, the musical guest that night, knew about my connection with Connie. And he said, do you want to come sing a few songs? I'll play piano for you. And I said, of course, but oh my God, I was so scared and so nervous, especially because she's, you know, 10 feet in front of me when I'm singing. Wow. So it was the most nerve wracking, but most exhilarating night of my life. So I did, I didn't want to do where the boys are because I figured that was a little too on the nose. So I did, sorry now. And I, I just, I was like numb. It was automatic pilot for the first half of it. And then during the modulation and the music, I heard one random guy start clapping and then the whole room started clapping, including Connie. And I was like, okay. So I did the rest of it. And then um, she asked Tony if he would let me do another one. And he said, sure. So then I did Tango Della Gelosia. Uh, one of my favorites. And she loved it. So at the end of the night, she took my hands and she said, Jenna, I love you. I said, oh, wow. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm good now. That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's sort of the, the, uh, the ultimate cherry on top, right? Yeah, that was, you know, definitely one of the best nights of my life. It was really, really special. And actually, to bring things kind of full circle, I actually invited Ernie to come that night. So Ernie witnessed that. Wow, that's wonderful. That is really beautiful. My family couldn't make it. And I was like, Who, who's going to really get this? And I said, no, Ernie will get it. So he, he came. Uh, I think he, he and Freddie came. And they sat down and had a couple of Negronis. And um, it was it was a, a special moment. There weren't that many other people there that I knew personally. But he was there and it really uh, meant, meant a lot to me and him. Well, it's so wonderful to hear that story because it means, you know, sometimes you admire these people and they mean so much to your life. But to be able to make the connection full circle and have them see and appreciate what you're doing and endorse what you're doing, it makes you a part of a living chain of history, you know. So there'll be one day, I'm sure, uh, many, many years from now where you're doing one of these songs and you can say to this audience, you know, I had this interaction with Connie Francis herself. And yeah, it makes you part of a sort of long red, white, and green line of who we are, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, maybe 20 years, 30 years from now, my nephew's playing in some band somewhere and he tells stories about his aunt who got to sing for the great Connie Francis, you know, I mean, just stories and experiences that we pass along. Um, Another interesting thing I wanted to tell you um, while I was talking about Tommy Burns, the 
guitarist for Billy Joel, he actually, he and his son produced a full track for me on this new CD. It's going to be the bonus track, and it's actually a reimagining of Torna Sorriento. So I do a wow. version with uh, the accordion and mandolin, and it's very uh, old school Italian. And the initial idea, because um, he's such a good friend of my husband's and he loves what I do. So the initial idea was to ask him to just play kind of a wailing guitar solo on the traditional version of it for kind of a, an interesting juxtaposition of musical styles. And um, I talked about it with Aaron Caruso because he, you know, he's in touch with the Napolitan crowd and travels there frequently. I was like, is this some, are we going to be like sacrilegious if we put a screen <laughs> of a guitar solo? in the middle of Torno Sorrento. And he said, no, actually, they're actually doing that a lot over there now. They're trying to kind of breathe new life into the old classics. He said, I think it'd be pretty cool if you did that. So we're like, okay. So we recorded my vocals in the rhythm section here and then sent the track off to Tommy Burns for him to add his guitar solo. So a week later, he called my husband. He's like, um, I want to do something a little different. I don't want to tell you too much, but can you do me a favor? Just send me Jenna's vocals without any of the other instruments and tell me the beats per minute that you recorded it at. And a couple weeks later, he sent us back this track. And I was like, oh, my God, that's my song. So he and his son totally did a brand new arrangement of it using the same vocal. So it's the same kind of traditional vocal, but it sounds like a James Bond theme song. They, like, wow. put all these production values behind it. They played all the instruments themselves, uh, added this cool little riff on a nylon string guitar. It sounds so cool. I was like, I can't believe that's my song. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Oh, it's really cool. So it's the bonus track. So we figured, again, not to kind of disturb the traditionalists, we'd keep the traditional one. So that's on, um, I think it's track six on the CD. So then it's a long CD. There's a lot of material. So track 21, the bonus track, is this reimagining of Torno Sorrento. And it's, uh, it's really cool. That's wonderful. The only experience I have in the music business was doing a CD with Lena Prima, who's become such a great friend, like a big sister to me. And we've covered this experience on the show so people who've listened for a long time have heard my conversations with her about it and how the cd came to pass but you know one of the things she was trying to do very similarly was like some of the stuff that was her dad's music that she wanted to do you know straight on and kind of honor these unique songs to the italian american experience but also breathe new life and a different version to some things and we we put together all different versions and she's got a phenomenal uh, arranger Larry Siebert, who just gave so much of himself to the process and came up with new versions of everything from Cutilo Dici, the traditional Sicilian folk song, all the way to Darktown Strutter's Ball, which is, you know, a 20s kind of gem. Yeah. And it was so much fun to see the energy that came in, to, you know, because like you say, you, you get protective of these things, their cultural heritage, their patrimony, but at the same time, they have to be living and breathing. And Neapolitan song has lived for an incredible amount of time and has remain pertinent to people in Italy and here in the diaspora. So I think you have all the liberty in the world to, to evolve these things forward, you know? Absolutely. And again, if we can kind of hook a younger generation, you know, they're not going to know Tornos Riento maybe was this huge, huge Napolitan song for <laughs> who knows how long. Century plus, yeah. Exactly. You know, if they hear this cool new version, I mean, I'm honestly thinking of sending it into like the James Bond people because we, we actually played it with the title sequence, because you know they have kind of those ethereal beginnings. Oh, yeah. We played it. It fits perfectly. We actually, my, when my nephew was visiting us, we played it for him. And he's like, wow, that's so cool. It's perfect. So something like that, that could just, again, breathe new life into it. And it's still the same beautiful melody. And that's key to me. Like, you don't mess with that. We can kind of mess with what goes around it and and give it new life. Yeah. 
I totally agree with you. I think that that's the most important thing you can do is is keep things fresh and keep them going forward and give them to a new audience in exciting new ways. So I'm sure, like all of your previous three CDs, this one's going to be uh, very much that, a, an evolution, but a great mix and dynamic, different genres, different things. You say there's 21 songs on here. Is it okay to ask if you have a favorite? Sure. And uh, it's actually not one that was hugely popular here. I think it did slightly better in Italy. Um, it was a song that Mina recorded called Breve Amore. Hmm. And it's so pretty. It makes me want to cry. It's just, and it's short. It's short. It's like two minutes, 37 seconds. It's this like pretty little kiss of a song. And it's, um, you know, Breve Amore, it's speaking about the end of a love affair. And it's just, to me, it's, you know, the word sparkling comes up because it's just like this kind of sparkling melody. We added kind of like the chimes, they call it a mark tree. And it just starts off with a sparkle. And I actually, I play flute on it. And it's just this really pretty background part on the flute. And that's, that's all I can say about it. It's just so pretty. And it makes me so happy. And uh, I think part of why I like it so much too, it, the lyrics are sad. It's about the end of a relationship. But it's an upbeat melody. And there's hope for the future. Uh, the the um, last lyric is, al nostro breve amore, alla felicità, che se ritornerai, ritornerà. So if you come back to me, our love will also come back. And it's just, even though it's sad, it gives such hope. And there's such an upbeat melody to it. And uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's really, it's not the most famous. It's not, I don't think it's anybody else's favorite but mine. But that song actually inspired me to do the whole CD. I heard it for the first time last February. And that was before COVID hit or anything. And I I fell in love with it instantly. And I said, I have to record the song. I have to have to record the song. It sounds like it was written for my voice. And then <laughs> 20 more songs later. <laughs> <laughs> There's your CD. Kind of ran away with it. You know, it, it was actually, it was a really good project during COVID because most of my live performances were canceled. And I just, I missed singing. And so it gave me something to focus on and gave me kind of a purpose to keep practicing every day and keep keep at it. You know, even, you know, in the confines of our apartment, practicing and working on arrangements over the phone with my dad and my husband, Jimmy, um, who I've mentioned, he actually almost died from COVID last year. He was one of the first victims in York. He was the eighth um, patient in Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn last March. Wow. Yeah. So when he first got it, we thought it was a cold. It wasn't a big thing at that point. You know, we're like, oh, it'll go well, and it didn't, and it got worse and worse, and he got admitted to the hospital March 15th. March 19th, his doctor called me to tell me he might not make it. And I mean, I, and I couldn't go anywhere because we thought I had it too. There weren't enough tests at the time, but I had mild symptoms. So I was so isolated. My family couldn't even come hug me. I was by myself. Jimmy's in the hospital. I couldn't talk to him. His doctors tell me he might not make it. I mean, literally, I... I don't think I've done this before in my life. I dropped my knees and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And uh, his father had passed away the year before. I was talking to his father. I was talking to every power in the universe that I could. I was like, he's got to pull through this. And he did. He he made it out. He That night, he started to turn it around. And um, he was in the hospital for a total of 17 days. Wow. And uh, when he came home, I was just so grateful. And um, you know, it took a couple months after that. He was on oxygen for another month at home. Then over the summer, when he was starting to feel better, that's when we started to talk about maybe doing this CD. So he actually came into the studio with me. Um, and it was a really, really good project for him because he's still working on getting his strength back. 
So most days it was me, Jimmy, my dad, and our engineer, uh, Chip Fabrizi, another good Italian. Um, so the four of us really bonded. And for Jimmy, it was really good. Um, he His job, he works security at Gotham Comedy Club, and they were shut down until a few weeks ago. So it kind of gave him a purpose and gave him a reason to kind of get dressed and work on building a stamina back and made him feel important, which he was, because, again, he's not a trained musician, but he heard things differently than me and my dad and the engineer. What are the same for these, like, minute musical things? And he'd be like, is that a stray symbol? Anybody else <laughs> Oh my God, you're totally right. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really good project for all of us and brought us closer together. And again, you know, the involvement of my sister and my nephew, it was, it was a big family project for this crazy year we had. Well, I, I have to say, I did not know about Jimmy and I'm very, very happy to hear. Thank God he is well. And um, you're not the first person to tell me that they turned to prayer for a loved one in an act that was unique for them and, uh, and, had those prayers answered through this. I know a lot of people who were, you know, about to go on the incubation or this and, and yeah. the power prayer, uh, I think means more than ever when, when you really don't have the normal support to lean on. Your family can't be with you and you can't go see the person that you love. And I, I think it's those moments of uh, real deep solitude and fear that you realize that there is something there that you can turn to. And it's a, it's a great energizer for people. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that uh, your prayers were answered and that Jimmy's well and, and making his way into, I guess, a different career in music with the triangle and, and contributing to your good works. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're very grateful that he's home and healthy and uh, back to his normal silly self. Yeah. Thank God. That's really wonderful. Um, you know, you talk about live events and coming back and doing these things. And I, I know it's opening up slowly here in New York and, and other places. Um, before we go, I know you are, releasing this thing with the show. It is a virtual show, correct? Correct. So tell the audience how they can participate in this virtual show, this virtual release of the record, and what it's going to look and feel like and, and how they could find it. Sure. So the show date is Friday, June 11th at 7 p.m. And it's going to be me and my band in a studio all together. It's a small studio, so we don't have room for the accordion mandolin or the horn section. But uh, it's me in a five-piece band and two backup vocalists, so it's going to sound great. And we're going to be doing all the songs from the CD, and it's going to be held on a Zoom platform. And it's a really professional one, so there's not going to be you know, buffering and stuff like that. I've done a show with them before. It's through um, Metropolitan Zoom. And it's the guy who owned the Metropolitan Room, hence Metropolitan Zoom. And the fun thing about it is I will be able to interact with the audience. So I've seen the studio. They have two huge screens in front of the stage area. And I'll be able to see everybody that's on Zoom with me. So I can be like, hey, John, it's, I'm so happy you could make it. And I'll talk about your podcast. Awesome. And it's going to be fun. And, the, and they can interact with me. You know, if we want to unmute somebody, we can. Um, but it's going to be a little different than, say, like a Facebook Live thing where you don't see any of the audience members and they don't see each other. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I'm so looking forward to sharing this music with everybody. So it's going to be a great night. Well, I think that's going to be great. And uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure that I am in the Zoom audience so you can see me and hear me and unmute me if I have anything worthy to say <laughs> because uh, it's, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've done. Obviously, we want our audience to understand how special they are for being here and listening to the show and being active parts of the Italian-American community, would you want to share one of the songs from the record with them to close out this episode? Absolutely. Um, let me think of which song. Do you have any requests out of the ones I've told you, or should I just pick something? You tell me which one you think you'd like to sort of give us the sneak peek to the album. 
What's got the energy of the album best encapsulated, if that's possible? This um, it's a Connie Francis song that's actually not as well known as some of her biggest hits. It's called Adio Mi Amor. Oh, wow. I don't even know if I've heard that, to be honest with you. Song, and we've got the backup vocals and accordion and mandolin. So, yeah, that's a really good kind of an encapsulation of what you can expect on the album. And one more thing I think I forgot to mention when I was talking about the show. Tickets are available on MetropolitanZoom.com. MetropolitanZoom.com. And are they available on your website? They will be shortly, probably within the next week. I'm, I'm updating the CD section of the website, but safest for now is MetropolitanZoom.com. So visit MetropolitanZoom.com if you want to get your tickets in advance. It's going to be, I'm sure, a wonderful night for Italian-America, for a great Italian-American and somebody who has done more than music and giving back to the community and has kept her very, very big heart right here in the heart of our Italian-American family. And so we're so proud of what you've done and uh, so excited for what's coming in the future, including this great fourth album, uh, More Amore, which sounds like a real joy. So we're going to see you off here with Adio Mi Amor by Jenna Esposito. Don't forget June 11th, you too can be a part of this wonderful presentation of this great new CD. And from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. No!